Hello all, and welcome to the Insight of an Author podcast. This is where you can begin or embellish your journey with host Ibutola Ajaye Adebayo as she brings you real experiences and share tips to complete your path to professional fulfillment from the insight of an author by learning from those who have faced the best and worst of circumstances on their publishing journeys. For authors and book lovers, she's a mind that's been let loose to the world. Travel with her and discover another dimension to writing. Welcome to the Insight of an Author Show, Episode 9. I'm your host, Ibitola Ojoy Adebayo, and I'm an award-winning author of the Septon series. On the show with me today is also my co-host, Blue Level. So hi, Blue. Hello. Last week, our special guest star grew up in Jamaica and was one of nine children and spent much of her time selling mangoes on the suburban streets of St. Elizabeth in Jamaica, despite often missing school in order to earn the money that the family desperately needed she retained her unquenchable thirst for education and today she's a woman of two MBAs. This woman went from a country girl to a corporate queen. This woman was Ava Brown. If you did get the opportunity to catch this episode, I hope you were able to take away useful tips to use as you went about your week. Yeah, it was really interesting how she survived and, and made away selling mangoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and now she's an accomplished author and an empowerment coach so quite proud of her actually uh, and she has two masters yes two MBAs masters in business arts yeah wow cool isn't it yep so so please note everyone if you missed any of if you've actually missed any of our episodes you can still catch up by visiting my website at www.ioadabayo.co.uk or our channels on SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher. So moving on, on this week's episode, we will be covering our topic of the week titled Blue. Why is reading important to children? Uh Uh-huh. And also this week's stopping gap is in Namibia, where I'll be bringing you an interview with Helvi Itenge Wheeler. She's an author and the founder of Yambika Chuja Media Company. The award-winning mother of two seeks to contribute to the promotion of a reading culture among young people and also to educate them about the local and other African traditional tales. So, Traditional African tales. That's, uh-huh. uh, that's not something like I've never really thought about. Um, and I don't, I don't have any examples on hand, but I, I know our tales, are. I'm sure they're similar. Do you know any? Uh, the tortoise, well, I know the tortoise on the head. <laughs> I know the tortoise on the hair, and I know the one about the monkey um, who kind of outsmarts the uh, old animals in the forest. And there's always a moral to the end of an African's tale, anyway. And there's one is how the lion got got uh, how the lion got his stripes, and how the oh how the no, how the tiger got his stripes, and how the lion became the king of the jungle. So kind of is stories the, like that. <laughs> is the uh, the the paw the thorn in the paw? Is that from uh, 
in an African tale? Mm, no, I don't know. All, I can't say I know all the African tales. Um, no, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> There's so no many. No more than me. <laughs> so moving on, uh, reading is important to for for a variety of reasons. Evidence suggests that children who read for enjoyment every day not only perform better in reading tests than those who don't, but also develop a broader uh, vocabulary, increase general knowledge and a better understanding of other cultures. Reading is important because it develops the mind. The mind is a muscle. It needs exercise. So understanding the written world, word is one way the mind grows in its ability. So teaching young children to read helps them to develop, to develop their language skills. It also helps them to listen. So, reading. Reading develops the imagination. With reading, a person can go anywhere in the world or even out of it. They can be a king, an adventurer, or a princess. Uh, the possibility is endless. Uh, my, I, when I was quite young, my imagination used to run around. Um, I remember, <laughs> <laughs> I remember um, one of my primary school teachers reading the BFG to me uh, by Roald Dahl, the big friendly giant. And I used to be scared to go to sleep at night because I used to think the BFG was waiting outside my window. Even though he was called the Big Friendly Giant, I don't know why the story scared me. For some reason, it just scared me. <laughs> yeah, I used to, I used the Junie B. Jones books actually to prepare myself for middle school, which is, it might be a little strange because Junie B. Jones is a, a, about a girl's experience through middle school. But it definitely helped quite a bit. And then I used Gary Paulson's books during middle school to take me out of it ah. and, and to go somewhere else. And, uh, and I, Gary Paulson's really good. He writes survival stories. And, and uh, yeah, you can definitely go to other places. We transport him. Non-readers never experience um, joys uh, to the same extent we readers do. <laughs> a recent study highlighted by the New York Times uh, found increased activity in the areas of children's brain associated with processing images, suggesting that even when kids aren't the ones reading, they are picture picturing the places they're hearing about. Um, that's me, through and through. <laughs> so, in a way, taking the time to read to your children on a regular basis sends an important message that reading is worthwhile. Although the life of a parent is often hectic, you should try to read to your child at least once a day at a regular scheduled time. Uh, with me, I used to read a lot to my eldest, but it gradually decreased when I had my second child then my third child. Um, so, but I've realised and it's something I need to uh, needed to correct. So I've realised it's something that I need I needed to correct. So I'm correcting that. So I'm reading a lot more to to the younger one now. Um, so I, I read to all my children. Blue. <laughs> what kids? The one you're going to have in the exactly. future? Yeah, all five. All five, all five of them, okay. <laughs> but I'm going to knock it out with all of them at once. I'm not going to go individually into each room or something and, and do it that way. No, that, that's just going to take forever. <laughs> Uh, so, in a way, taking the time to read to your children on a regular basis sends an important message that reading is worthwhile. So you may go through a period when your child favours one book and wants it read night after night after night after night after night, 
just with my kids, with um, their favourite book, The Shark in the Park. They love that book, and it's something I have to read to them every night. But I can't complain, because I've grown to love the book also. The book yeah, is actually quite book. fun. It, it's quite fun. Uh, I, assume, I assume it's about a shark in a park, though. Yeah, Timothy Pope, Timothy Pope looks for his telescope. He looks at the sky, he looks at the ground, he looks all around, but this is what found. There's a shark in the park! <laughs> <laughs> he is a nice, that's that's really good. Uh, I assume he lives in a nice neighborhood, Timothy does, and to live right next to a park, it's really fortunate. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the end of the book, it's just a cat. That's, that cat. He, yeah, that he can see through his telescope. <laughs> the ears of this cat, he can see through his little telescope. So, which is pointy. So he's so what he's what we see is the fin, you know, like the fin of the shark, and it's, but it's a cat. Yeah. So all you it's like a, the book Spoiler. has got like a little window, and it shows like a black fin. On the window, that is pointy. You just, you just spoiled the shark in the park. Guess <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not reading it now. <laughs> Oh, God, moving on. Uh, reading aloud to young children, particularly in an engaging manner, promotes um, emerging literacy and language development and supports the relationship between child and parent. So developing that passion for reading is very crucial, uh, methinks. And also, to, according to Jim Trelease, author of the bestseller, The Read Aloud Handbook, he believes you can call it... Uh, he believes... Every time we read to a child, we're sending a pleasure message to the child's brain. Uh, so you can you could even call it a commercial, uh, conditioning the child to associate books and print with pleasure. So that concludes the first half of the show. Uh, what's next, Blue? Yeah, we've got Ephens. Um, so the first one is from Raj in New Delhi in India. India, cool. And it is, do you have a special time to write? Oh, definitely. Um, I I love writing in the middle of the night because my day is quite busy with three girls, a husband, and a job that's supposed to be nine to five, but ends at eight. Um, so I kind of, um, when it comes to my writing, I prefer doing it in the middle of the night. So I go to bed until like 4 a.m. sometimes. Um, yeah, so I hope that answers your question, Raj. Any other questions, Blue? Okay. The, mm-hmm. the next question is from Ginny in Sydney, Australia. And it's, do you work to an outline or plot, or do you just prefer to see where an idea takes you? Um, I start off with an with a plot outline uh, of what I want to write. I've got this idea in my head. I jot it down. Um, I've got the plot down. But when I actually start writing the story and forming it together, I don't follow the outline I've set for myself at all. And that happens all the time. I end up uh, just kind of not following it and coming up with new ideas as I'm writing along. So it always changes. So the original plan is not the, uh, not the resulting outcome for me uh, most of the time anyway. So, yeah, I hope that answers your question, Jenny. And thank you for sending an email through. So, uh, any more questions, Blue? Not this week. 
Cool. So uh, it looks like that's the entire question we have for today. But remember, people, if you have a question that you want my little insights to, feel free to email the insight of an author show at insights at ioadabio.co.uk. That's insights at ioadabio.co.uk. So what's next, Blue? Next is going to be an interview with Helvi Wheeler. And ah. she's from Namibia, Namibia, as we uh, mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Yep. As I, ma- as I mentioned earlier in the show, I was lucky to catch up with Helvi Itinga Wheeler. Uh, she's an author and a founder of Yambika Chuja Media Company. And the award-winning mother has, um, seeks to contribute to the promotion of a reading culture among young people and also to educate them about local and other African traditional tales. So let's check it out. Hello all. I'd like to introduce to you our featured guest for this week. And it's Helvi Itinge Wheeler. Uh, did I pronounce it properly, Helvi? Wheeler. Wheeler. <laughs> so Helvi um, is actually a Namibian American who moved to the United States in 2001 to complete her uh, higher education. Um, along the way, she's, she's become an accomplished author and the founder of Yambika Chudra Media Company. The award-winning mother of two seeks to contribute to the promotion of reading culture among young people and also to educate them about local and other African traditional tales. So, I can't wait to get stuck into this interview. So, to begin, Helvi, perhaps you can tell myself and my lovely listeners a little bit about yourself. Who is the real Helvi Wheeler? Hi, thank you for having me on your show. Thank you for being on our show. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I think you have really introduced me in the right way. Um, <laughs> I was born in Namibia, if I can say a little bit of my background. I was born in Namibia. But at the age of three, I was taken into exile, mm. and I grew up in a refugee camp for about nine years. So oh. I returned to Namibia, and then um, when I was ready to go to college, I moved to the U.S. And during the time I was in the U.S., I had my first uh, my first two children, and I was having really a hard time to um, to read to them the stories that they tell the tales that I grew up listening to. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, so I started basically trying to find ways until I could start writing my own for them. Wow, wow, wow. That's, that's what you just said, very insightful. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so while you were in America, you found it challenging, like you said, to educate your children and native relative. Your language is um, Oshiwambo. Did I pronounce that correctly? Um, yes. And because of this, you kind of found you couldn't find books that could relate to them, mm-hmm. and um, so you um, that kind of ha- relate to your original language. So you were determined to teach teach your children um, Oshuambo, <laughs> which I understand yes. because my husband is very into trying to let our kids because um, trying to let our kids understand our language. So <laughs> so I totally understand yeah. that. So you began to create your own babies and children's book and toddler's book, which sounds amazing. So what was the name, the first book you published? Uh, what was the name of the first book you published? Well, the first book I, I created was Ijo Yorutu, meaning body parts. Body parts. Mm. Say that again. So that's, pardon? So that was what? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I basically used my son Behane's uh, pictures to create this book. And the aim was not really to sell it. I just wanted to have um, to have a book we could read every night. But then I put it up on, on Lulu. It's a website where mm-hmm. you can uh, just put up a book and then you just ask them to print it. And mm-hmm. then I ordered a copy. So once I received this copy, I was really excited. I decided to share it with my other Namibian living in the US and the mm-hmm. UK. So... Yeah, and they really they were really interested. They they asked me, can they buy? So <laughs> can they buy this book? Wow. Even professional. That, yeah. That's very good. So that's how you went literally into self publishing, just out of the blue. <laughs> that's yeah. so. So that was so that was the journey that you made to get that book into the market. So um, why did you end up creating Yambika Children Media? Once I shared this body parts book with my uh, Namibian friends, mm-hmm. I um, I was actually surprised at the same time. Um, I realized there was a gap I was actually going to fulfill. And then that's how I created the Ambeka Children Media, which was created to promote African languages and stories, tales and histories. Mm. And I wanted to create like fun and interesting literatures for children. And... Um, Furthermore, in 2009, my family and I moved to Kenya as a result of my husband. He was voluntary um, with VSO. And I wanted to learn Swahili and I went to the shops. I found books. Yes, they had books for uh, written in Swahili, but most of them were just written in Swahili alone. And those who were written in Swahili and English, most of them were like, um, kind of like have a textbook feel. Mm. And I remember. Yeah, in the, in the U.S., for example, they have the Spanish and Spanish English, um, French English, those kind of fun books uh, mm. for kids. So I said, okay, let me see if I can try to work with uh, somebody from Kenya who can speak the language very well and come up with a, a basic book. And that's how I created Baby's First Swahili book and uh, another one called uh, Wanyama. And today, um, these two books are in 52 Kenyan National Libraries. Wow. And around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, I love I love the front cover of um is it um Wanyamba? Wanyamba. Yeah, I lo- I lo- the front cover is so cute. <laughs> um, so how many children books have you published in total so far? Well, so far um I've written about ten, and I've wow. helped about three authors who publish their own stories as well. Ah, so um with with this journal because it looks as if you've actually now you've landed in this area and this of books which is children's books um do you have intention of branching out or do you do you are you do you like it in this general in this general way what you're writing now or do you have plans in branching out well okay the most of the books they are like babies uh, and toddlers from zero to um the one i've written that zero to mm-hmm. six but um, the goal is to write up to 13, so that's why I'm also taking on some other people, some other upcoming authors, mm-hmm. so we can have up to 13, because I realized that many books, many authors, they're writing really for young adults or even adults. This area, the, the zero to, especially zero to five, 
is really degraded. So I think there's a huge need. It's like um, we need to really come up with materials for these uh, young children because mm. the foundation needs to be set. Because if you don't set the foundation, by the time the children are 13, they'll not have interest in reading. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. I totally agree with that. Um, you uh, Because through hearing stories, children are kind of exposed to a rich, wide vocabulary. So this kind of and this helps them to build their own vocabulary and improve their understanding when they listen, which is vital as they start to read. So this kind of brings me to my topic of the week, which is why is reading important to children? What can you give me some of your um, your own insights? Why you think reading is important to children? Well, um, I believe that parents and caregivers really have the power to boost their children's learning potential mm. simply by making books an integral part of their lives. And um, I found that numerous education, educational studies have demonstrated that um, when parents read to their children at an early age, the child is more receptive to reading. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to introduce books to the children before they could even say their own words. Their, I mean, their first words. Mm -hmm. So when you when they are babies, you talk to them, you read to them. By the time they are like uh, one and a half or two years, you see them already. They are, they are interested. They want to read. When they see an adult also holding a book, they also want to hold a book. So it's very important to start when they're very young. I, to I totally agree. With my nine-year-old, um, even though with me, um, becoming an author was by accident. But now I've realized with my elder, she's, she's so interested in writing when it comes to writing stories. And the things she comes out with, when she, you know, because she's so proud of what mommy does, she has her little notebooks now and she writes little stories. You know, and when I read it, I'm so amazed that, wow, I didn't realize I had this talent. I'm just realizing it at, at, later on in life. But it was quite nice to kind of notice because I used to read to her when she was very young. So I can't. So I guess maybe that's um, that's been a tool also to kind of help her. So now that I've realized that I've caught it quite early. <laughs> so I'm trying yeah. to build on this with her. Because she, she loves it. This is like now all of a sudden um, from being a uh, mummy, I, uh, I want to be a teacher. Now I want to be an author, just like you. So, so I'm trying to, I'm building on that with her. But making her understand that writing is not all what I do. Before I started writing, I w was also a graduate. And I'm also working in the industry based on what I studied at uni. So that is not all. Uh, that mummy does so I try to kind of make her understand that apart from that you've got so many other options you've got to do you know you've got in life so many things you can do apart from being an author so that's why I kind of instill in my in my daughter <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful and amazing would that bring me to one experience one uh, one time I was speaking to one parent mm -hmm. she was like she cannot uh, buy to her child because the child would just tear the book up and I asked how old is your child she was like no my son is five five like, no way five he's old enough and I remember um, watching over YouTube one of my videos I made with my daughter when she was six months 
she was holding a book and she was like mimicking uh, what we we do so mm-hmm. like turning the pages so i think if the parents really like start when they are big when the children are when they are not like babies they will really hope they will even know how to handle the book yeah they will be able to know mm-hmm. what the value of the book and um coming back to your nine-year-old daughter i also see it with my children especially my daughter she's seven and she's reading she's like reading books for kids that are that are stayed there for nine years exactly mm-hmm. and people are like oh we want um, our children to also read like your daughter i'm like yeah it's possible nothing's impossible but you have to start all i know that you have to start exactly i i agree you have to start them at a very young age with my daughter elizabeth she's reading books for age 13 14 she even picks some of my books but i try to restrict her to kind of (laughs) so kind of kind of monitor the books she reads when it comes to me because i'm more of a horror fan so a lot of my books are in horror (laughs) so (laughs) but yeah yeah i totally agree with that um, I've got another question I would love to run by you. Um, your book, Sam Nujoma, which the founding president of Namibia, um, presents the story of the founding president in a simplified and interesting way that kind of appeals to children. Can you tell us a bit about this book? Uh, well, this book, uh, the Sam Nujoma children book, it tells basically the story of the founding president mm-hmm. of Namibia. Mm. His, uh, his Excellency Dr. Semnioma, from his childhood to the dawn of Namibia's independence. Um, it follows Namibia's struggle for liberation from mm-hmm. South African apartheid rule and the era of reconciliation that followed. Um, the book describes Dr. Nioma's dedication to Namibia's freedom and will really, I think this book really inspire and educate children in Namibia and beyond. And it's, uh, I really recommend this for youth and uh, anybody who's really interest, interested in learning this Namibian history. Wow. Mm-hmm. I, I totally like, I think it's something worth checking out for sure. It's available on Amazon, isn't it? Yes, you can also find it on Amazon. And all your other uh, toddler books. So all the yeah, mummies out there, <laughs> log into Amazon. Pardon? Say that again. So all your books, especially the toddlers one, they're all available on Amazon. Yes, most of them are on Amazon, and you can also find them on our website, yambikachildren.com, mm-hmm. and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I think that's where you found us. Good, and that's Yambika. <laughs> Say again. That's Yambika. Yambika children. Children. Yes. Meet. Cool. <laughs> Um, also, I've got a question I'd like to ask you. Um, you you are also the founder and chairperson of the Namibia Book Fair. How did this come about? Um, well, Namibia Book Fair, when I first came to, um, to Namibia mm-hmm. in 2020, end, end of 2010, I was really excited and I wanted to, to take my books to a Namibian uh, book event or something of that nature. But then I spoke to one of my uncle, Uncle Ambrosius, and he immediately informed me that there was no such event. And um, he also encouraged me to start one. 
and he uh, put me together with one of his nieces, Nashilongo. And in 2012, 2012, um, the first Namibia Book Fair was uh, was held at the FNCC, and it was supported by uh, other organizations like the Gotti Center, Minister of Education, and um, the Spanish Embassy, U.S. Embassy, UNESCO, and many others. But uh, recently, and we could not do it um, every year, we are still trying to see if we can have it each year or every other year, but this year we revived it and we started with workshops, exhibitions, and um, we were really honored to have the Right Honorable Sarah Kuwangero Amadira, the Prime Minister, as the keynote speaker at the opening of this uh, year's book fair. Mm, mm. Yeah. And um, let me just say, the, the, um, I could add that the Namibia, um, the Namibia Book Fair, it's really, um, the aim is to, is for the Namibian people, is to really support and to foster an appreciation of the diversity of the Namibian and other African literature, and um, the language through the power of reading. Mm. And we want to inspire Namibians to write their own stories. Wow. I hope every Namibian out there is listening to this. Uh, that's great. Um, I've heard that Namibia is not much of a reading nation. Is this true? If so, why do you think this is? Uh, that's hard to conclude. Um, I met some Namibians who enjoy reading and mm -hmm. they purchase books. So, um, with anything, I'll say um, there's always rooms for, rooms for improvement. And as being an author myself, I'm mm. always looking for better solutions to improve in whatever situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Um, another question. What are the challenges and opportunities facing you as an author in Namibia? In Namibia? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I'll say the market for the books is not really big, especially for the children's books. So you won't have to really convince the parents or the potential, um, if I want to call them buyers, the parents and the teachers, the, the, um, you need to really convince them that it's very important to buy books um, to children. Why should I, why, um, some parents might wonder why should I buy books to my um, child who can't even say a word. So it's, um, it's quite challenging. and. Um, to also put the books in the government government schools takes a long process, unlike the private schools. Mm -hmm. um, and the opportunities are um, well. We got support, especially from the founding fathers' office, and uh, the prime minister's office support this project, this kind of initiative, the mm -hmm. literature. And there are quite a good number of organizations and individuals who are supporting the local authors. Uh, and one would assume that the go um, the government school should be the one to be quite open to this. Say that again? I, say, I guess one would think the government school should be the ones quite open to this, apart from the private schools. Yeah. One would assume it should be easier. In the, are in the government schools? Yes. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. The majority of the children are in the government schools, so it's very important that the children get to read, especially their own traditional stories. Yep. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, more grease to your elbows, my sister. I'm really proud of what you're doing. Um, okay. or, um, I've got another question. What is next for Helvi Wheeler? What What do you plan? What should we expect from you? 
next? Um, I'll continue writing more books uh -huh. and uh, the aim to promote the African languages, the history and the tales. And um, I'll support projects that will promote reading culture, such as the book fair and hopefully more projects projects to come and i also like to see some of these traditional tales turned into cartoons so to make our own <laughs> stories <Cool>. yeah <laughs> and uh, and hopefully to also work with uh, or educate parents on the importance of reading to children very important so, uh, yeah <laughs> and finally helvi i know you've said it before but where can my listeners um, find you on the web and a little bit more about your works. Well, uh, you can find uh, our books, you can find them on Amazon, mm -hmm. on Yambeka Children Media website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and um, YouTube. We also have some books there on YouTube. And you can also find our books. Uh, if you're visiting Namibia, you find them at the airport, <laughs> in the Namibian libraries, Kenyan libraries. And we are also at the Disney environment, cultural cultural libraries in the in the in the US and recently the Con Conventry Central Library in the UK bought some of our books and they're in other libraries you can find them in the world. Wow. Um I've just got one final question. Um how has the impact of your upbringing with you being in the refugee camp and then moving away from that, going into the US and becoming who you are today. How has your past been a driving force to where you are today? Um, I, I think that's really important because I think part of my drive for this is that um, I, did, I did not have the privilege to have books when I was a child in the in the refugee camps, mm. and I struggled with even with high school. I didn't I didn't pass very well because our my foundation was not set. Mm. And when I had the children of my my own, when I had my own children, I was like saying to myself, I don't want them to go through what I went. I want to make it easier for them. I want them to have to be able to access to to have access to books and become readers because I didn't start reading books or I didn't find it fun to read books until I was in college. So so that's really what motivated me, the fact that I did not have the foundation and I wanted to change the table around for my children and for, hopefully for many other children, especially African children, but hopefully the, all the children in the world. But I wanted them to have it uh, better. For example, when you have the story, um, stories around the fire, mm, we've mm -hmm. never had books. We are always imagining how does this look, this characters looking like, how, you know, what what are they wearing and all that. So I thought it would be interesting for our children to be able to have these books and see the characters and see the images and, you know, and they could uh, maybe identi identify themselves or with these characters. Wow, very, very insightful. Um, Helvi? Once again, I would like to thank you so much for being, um, for actually joining me on my show and sharing your story and your journey. And I wish you every success in the future. So thank you once again, Helvi. And I hope to speak to you soon.
Thank you so much, Victoria, and I'm also wishing you the best with your show, and I hope to see it growing, and you know, Amen, my sister. one day I'll, I'll be coming to the UK. That would be lovely, and I can have you yeah. on my couch, on my sofa. <laughs> And that would be lovely. Thank you again, Helvi, and speak to you soon. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Welcome back to the Insights of an Author show. I am Blue Level, and I'm here with Ibi Tola. And this is a segment of the show where we'll be giving some more real facts about books and reading. Yes. Um, so whether you read by Kindle, an app, or a device, or, well, so yeah, there's an old saying, the pen is mightier than the sword. Ideas written down have changed the destiny of men and nations for better or worse. The flow of ideas cannot be stopped. We need to read and to research to build on the good ideas and expose the ideas, the bad ideas, before they bring destruction. So whether you read via Kindle, an app or any other device, hardcover or paperback, here are some, real, some, here are some facts of interest for every book lover out there. Um, so this week, Lou, the first fact I came across was um, Dan Brown. Have you ever heard of Dan Brown? Mm, no, I can't say I have. <laughs> uh, well, Dan Brown, he wrote The Da Vinci Code. But I just found oh, that he was a okay. pop singer and a songwriter before he, before he wrote The Da Vinci Code. And, um, was well, he any good? I don't know. I don't oh, know. Okay. But he, we, he, remember we were talking about his um, creativity and genetic trait. Um, his mum was the musician in the family, and his dad, I think his dad was a teacher or a lecturer, uh, one of the two. So, you get, if you get what I mean, so it looks as if he got the trait, his trait from his mum. So, genetics does run in the family. <laughs> yeah, he's on Spotify, I just checked. He's on what? Spotify. Is he? Mm. Yep. Oh, uh, the second one I came across this week was Peter Pan. Apparently, Peter Pan allegedly killed the Lost Boys when they got too old. Uh, so, Peter Pan, a magical tale of a young boy. Wow. Me That's too. Awful. That's what I said when I read. I was like, oh my what? Gosh. But I've always found Peter Pan uh, creepy, though. I'm sorry. I don't I know. know. He was That's just creepy. <laughs> so, I'm for in shock. <laughs> so for those that don't know about Peter Pan, is a magical tale of a young boy who never wanted to grow up. Um, so though it's easy to miss, uh, there was one line in the story basically reveals the, the fate of the lost boys. And that line reads as, Boys on the island vary, of course, in numbers, according as they get killed and so on. And when they seem to be growing up, which is against the ruse, Peter thins them out. But at this time, there were six of them. Counting the twins as that two. Is terrible. Yep, yep. You read that right. <laughs> when the lost boys got old, Peter thinned them out. So what does that mean, actually? He get rid, gets rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You, um. Well, I have a, a lighter, like a, a lighter fun fact. Yeah, that was a bit macabre, around. wasn't it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is about Garfield, the comic strip. And I like I, Garfield. I think comics are reading. So, okay. Um, before Googlebot, mm. the domain name gmail.com, mm. it was originally used by Garfield's, the, the company that... Um, it was originally used by Garfield.com to reply to fans of the comic strip. 
the strip. Oh, interesting. Yep, and the other one I have is Goosebumps writer R.L. Stein. Oh, I love Goosebumps. I've got all the collection. We all, yeah, we all know of him. Once received a letter from a child which began, Dear R.L. Stein, I've uh-huh. read 40 of your books and I think they're really boring. <laughs> yep, read 40 of them. Have you? No, the the letter was I read forty of your books and I think they're really boring. Is that it? He got. Wow. Yeah, and it's it's uh, it's kind of ironic, you know. He read forty books, um, and then he decided. And to And then say, you decide you know, to say, "Because that was one." Yeah, these are boring. She was like, "Huh? Well, you read forty of them." Hmm. <laughs> oh, another key fact I came across this week, an interesting one at that, is Alice in Wonderland. Apparently, Alice in Wonderland was originally banned in China for having talking animals. In 1931, the censor, General Ho Chain, found it an insult to humans to have animals acting in the same complex manner as a human. His fear was that kids would think humans and animals were equal and on the same level. He thought that it could be disastrous. So he put a ban that has been removed, however... Other books have been banned from the countries before too. Um, also, in 1945, uh, the book uh, Animal Farm was banned from being published for two years during World War II. It was also banned in Kenya in 1991 for criticizing corrupt leaders. Uh, it was also then banned in the United Arab Emirates in 2002. That was quite interesting. Huh, it did- did it do that? Was it criticizing corrupt leaders? I just read the book and I thought about farm animals. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I just thought, I just it, read the book and I definitely. just like the spider and the pig. <laughs> it was, it was definitely, um, we're talking about animal farm. Animal farm. And I guess there's an underlying, when I read it, I was young, so I might not have. There definitely is. I remember reading George Orwell's Animal Farm. Mm. Um, I read it over the summer, actually, right oh, okay. after I read some book about trains in the Great Depression, and I can't remember what it was. Mm. There must be an underlying um, story to. I can't remember. I read it such a long time ago. I can't. I, all I remember in it were the fat farm animal. I remember there was a spider. I remember there was a pig. <laughs> no, that's that's a uh, that's that's different. Um, darn it! Now I gotta look up spider and pig. Spider. No, and there was pig. a spider and a pig in Animal Farm, wasn't there? No, no that's. No, that's... That's Animal Farm. Spider and Pig book and movie. Hold on, I'm looking it up. (laughs) No, that's Charlotte's Web. Ah, yes, it's Charlotte's Web. My bad, my bad. Yeah, Animal Farm is about a farm of animals, um, and they're fed by the the farmer, you know, and they're taking care of and, and they're like, Hey, the farmer, he has us do all this work, um, you know, tilling and whatnot. And then he takes the majority of it and just gives us what we need to survive. Mm-hmm. What if, if we got rid of the farmer, you know, mm-hmm. we would, uh, we would have a lot more. Well, it turns out that's not true. And because uh, the farmer took care of a lot of stuff that animals obviously can't mm. and the pigs eventually, uh, became the leaders, and uh, I believe it was a representation of communism and how it's bad and it can't work out. 
okay, okay. I'm sure I've read Animal Farm. It was such a long time ago. But I remember Charlotte's Road, definitely. Because I remember I'm, this spider. trains in the Great Depression I was talking about. <laughs> I haven't found it yet, but I'll, I'll figure out the name of that. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I have a fact, and it's Beatrix Potter. If you know who that is, she wrote The Tale of Peter Rabbit. Oh, yes. That was the first woman to be elected president of the Herwick Sheep Breeders Association, which really is amazing. It broke a, a glass ceiling that was that was put in place for sheep breeders everywhere, and so, women in sheep breeding. Ah, interesting. Um, I personally, for me, um, I've always found the book the books boring <laughs> when I was quite young. The Tale of Peter Rabbit. The, the movies were definitely better attention grabbers. Is it? Mm. I will not bother to watch the movie because I found the book, the book's boring. That's just my personal view, anyway. You know, and I've got the audio book in the car, and my kids listen to it, which is a killer, a mood killer, completely. Can't stand listening to that audio book. Right. Um, there's another. The library has four law books bound in human skin. Ugh, gross. Uh, a few years ago, three separate books were discovered in Harvard University's library that had particularly strained-looking leather covers. Upon further inspection, it was discovered that the smooth binder was actually human flesh. In one case, the skin allegedly harvested from a man who was flayed alive. But they had that. Oh, that's just gross. I'm sure it was kept in the corner somewhere in the archives <laughs> and somebody came across it. Yeah, it was a really knew, old book. And they, put, they hid it away. Yeah. <laughs> so that's all the facts for me have you got any more blue that's it nope i'm i'm all out oh cool so uh, i think everyone can conclude that reading is a vital skill because words spoken and written are the building blocks of life so that's a wrap for me ibitola ojoya adebayo and my co-host blue level one of the aims of the show is to give you some helpful tips that you can apply throughout the week to your own life as a writer or publisher. The show is also here to bring you insights from authors and publishers all around the world. We look forward to sharing more next time on our show via audio podcast once a week. We'll also be having a special guest in once a month, which will be broadcasted visually to you right here at our studio. So stay tuned, you do not want to miss that. You also to get you also get a chance to see the face behind this voice. So bye-bye for now. You've just experienced the inside of an author podcast where you've hopefully gathered some helpful nuggets that you can apply to your own life as a writer or author or even seen the journey your favourite author may have taken to get your favourite book onto your bookshelf. Inspiration is key to continuing your writing journey and as long as you stay plugged in to an inspiring source, you can be successful in whatever endeavours you seek. We encourage you to give us a positive rating and subscribe to our podcast so you can stay connected and discover more experiences and tips to make your writing journey complete. Lastly, head over to www.ioadebio.co.uk for follow-up notes so you can apply throughout the week until the next episode.